Everybody agrees there's a problem. And I want to submit this morning that really only God has the answers to the problem. I want to submit that the real reason we're in the problem we're in today is because about 30 or 40 years ago, this country started to think it knew best about how to raise children and, and knew best about what being a man and a woman uh, was supposed to look like. But Doug and I, I asked him to write down some questions. I wrote down some questions kind of uh, about this topic. And so this is a new format for us. First time we've ever did anything like this. And uh, Doug's going to start off with the questions today. Okay, question, first question we got here is, why do, ha, why do we have such a male problem in today's society? All right, so that's a big question. Why is there such a problem with men in our society? For the sake of time, I tried to really put it into three quick areas that I think we have to address. Uh, first of all, the attack on the biblical model of the home and the family. And so there's attack on man and his position in the family. Secondly, there's been an attack on man and his work. And I'm going to uh, develop that here in a little bit. But we have an entitlement mentality of society where men are not expected to work, where we think that we should have everything handed to us. And then the third thing, I believe that um, they're one of the, the main problems with our country and with men is the constant barrage of sexual content, pornography at, at uh, you know, just one click away. And when I was writing these things down, I, I, I started to think that the Bible tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Our real problem is a spiritual problem, and the only solution is a spiritual solution. We have to remember that because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, that means it's not men that we're fighting. It's not governments that we're fighting. It is a real enemy of God. And this enemy has been watching us, mankind, for thousands of years. He's learned uh, how to defeat us. And one of the things about a good attack is that it's going to be multifaceted. So in other words, the devil doesn't just come at us with one bullet and hope that somehow he hits. He's got all these different levels of attack. And when I looked at these three things I put down, I saw an attack on really the three most significant things that define a man. His family, his work, and then his sexuality. So let's look at um, the attack on the biblical model of the family. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, if you'll pull that up for me. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We see Jesus give us the biblical model for the home. One man, one woman for life. We're in a culture that just totally fights that. Uh, I was just watching the other day NBCnews.com ran some special on some family in Atlanta that, I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying, but it starts out with a little girl, and they ask this girl, she's, when I say little, she's like seven, tell us about your family. She said, my family has two dads, one mom, one person that's dating, and another person that's dating. There's five adults in the home, three men, two women, two of them are married, they all date back and forth. And this is a reality show that's just come up. And somehow this is like acceptable in our culture. I mean, this was unthinkable, unthinkable, just as 20 years ago it was even unthinkable. But there has been an attack on the biblical model of the home. And I think that's one of the reasons that we have such a, a problem with men in our society. We haven't been taught what a home is supposed to be. What is our role in the home? We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, Doug, do you have anything else on that? Yeah. Okay. The entitlement mentality. 
Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. This is a good one that you ought to have your young teenage boys memorize. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in disorderly manner, but not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Pull up just that first verse again. Verse 10. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. The Bible teaches that man was made to work. We are created for work. One of the reasons we have so many dissatisfied men is because, number one, they don't believe what the Bible says. And then, number two, they try to live their life not working, not generating income, not generating wealth, expecting everyone else to pay their bills for them. And then they wonder, you know, why am I so dissatisfied? I think that the entitlement mentality that we live in is an absolute... um, it plays a great role in the downfall of society as we know it. And one of the things we've got to learn to do is teach our young people to work. We've got to teach them that the only way to generate wealth is through work. And one of the things this entitlement mentality has done to our culture is created a bunch of quitters. People who don't believe in just working and staying it through. I mean, you just try it and if you don't like it, quit. Give up on your job, give up on your marriage, give up on your children. of American children are being brought up in homes without their father. This is insane. We have a real problem, and we as a church have to be willing to look this thing in the eyes and address it. And I think the the third thing that is really messing with our men is the constant barrage of sexual content. I mean, everything is sexualized. Uh, It is unbelievable how difficult it is to watch anything, including Disney, which we watch Disney, but it's difficult to watch anything, including Disney these days, without sexual content. And when we are constantly bombarded with sexual images, with sexual insinuations, with with, uh, sexual imagery, it appeals to that weakest part of man's flesh nature. And we have, we've got a serious problem in our country. Matter of fact, let me give you a few brief um, statistics on the problem with pornography in our country. The largest consumers of Internet pornography are 12 to 17-year-olds. Now, I don't know I'm talking about fatherhood. But men and, and ladies, you have got to be aware of what your children are doing. You know, it only makes sense that it is ages 12 to 17. That's just the age of curiosity. But nowadays, all you got to do is get on the Internet, type in a few words and hit search. And, and there you have pornography at your fingertips. And so we've got to be very careful as parents to know what our kids are watching, to know what they're looking at on their computers. The largest consumers of Internet pornography, 12 to 17-year-olds, 25% of all search engine requests daily are pornography-related. This is a staggering figure. I want you to understand what I said. That doesn't mean that one out of four people search for pornography. It means that one out of every four times somebody hits the search button, they're searching for pornography. Let me tell you some statistics about Christians and pornography. Seventy percent of Christian men admit to struggling with pornography in their daily lives. This is a tough subject to talk about because we'd all like to talk about, you know, it's the church down the street, right? Christian men down the street. But you look at the number of Christian men in here in this room right now and, and, and you think about this statistic. This is a very relevant thing that we need to discuss. Fifty percent of Christian men admit to an addiction with pornography. 
55% of pastors admit to visiting a pornographic site. 53% of men who attend Promise Keepers admit to using pornography in the last week. Pornography is a real problem in our country. Now, here a little bit later, Doug and I are going to talk about some solutions. And we're not just going to sit up here and talk about the problem. But I want to move. And Doug, I want to ask you the question for you. What is the hardest thing about being a Christian man for you? The, the, the most difficult thing for me, being a Christian man in our society, uh, to be quite honest with you, is just spending time with the Lord. Um, especially right now. I mean, currently, my work is my life. It's not my choice to be that way. Uh, but that's just how it is right now. Um, but I have got to... I've got to learn and I've got to know what what needs to be the most important thing in my life. And that's my relationship with God. And as fathers, as men, we need to understand that our most important thing and our most important relationship in our life is our relationship with God. Um, I I also struggle with uh, with the lusts of the flesh. And when I say lusts of the flesh, I mean my flesh wants to do things that my spirit does not want to do. And we will struggle with that. Uh, you're going to struggle with that every day for the rest of your life. Uh, being a Christian uh, is difficult. And sometimes my flesh wants to, to be lazy. I get home from work and I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I just worked 11 and a half hours. I don't want to do anything. I want to get on the couch, kick up my feet, and turn on the TV and just drown out the world. And... I've got to know that that's not okay for me to do all the time. Yeah, there's a time and a place for that. We all need relaxation. We all need time to just kick up our feet. But we can't forget about spending time with God. And that, that for me, is the hardest part of being a Christian man. And, Jop, I'll turn around and I'll ask you the same question. Now, what is the hardest part about being a Christian man for you? Well, I wrote down three different different items, um, because I don't really know which one is the hardest. But um, the first thing I wrote, the first thing I pinned down was controlling my thought life. You know, it's easy to talk about controlling your thought life. It's another thing to do it. And when I talk about the constant bombardment of of things that, that come at us, you know, thoughts, most of us don't sit down and think to ourselves, well, I'm going to think this thought. It's just there. And uh, I got to tell you, as a Christian, um, the first several years serving the Lord, I had to learn how to overcome the condemnation for the things I thought. And it's like I was constantly asking God for forgiveness for things I thought. And I had to learn that the Word of God tells us, Paul said to take every thought captive. And I'm telling you, when I saw that Paul did not say, don't think the thought, he said, take the thought captive. I begin to feel a little bit better and realize you, there's some things you just can't help. It's there. But what you can help is how long are you going to think on it? How long are you going to meditate on this thing? You're going to let this thought run around in your mind all day until you want it so bad that you end up doing something you shouldn't do. And as a man who's been a pastor here for the last eight years, I've been preaching for the last 14. Learning to control my thought life is probably one of the most difficult things. There have been times I've just thought, get rid of the TV. You can't hardly watch nothing. Commercials come on and all of a sudden there's just stuff you shouldn't see. And uh, so that's number one. That's been very difficult. The second thing I'd say is time management. We are a fast-paced society. You know, culture has never been like it is today, at least not up until the last hundred years. You used to work near the home. Men used to plow the fields. I mean, when you look at history, you take a look at the last 6,000 years. Men didn't get in cars, drive an hour to work, work eight hours away from the home, and then drive home. Most of their work was close to home. Most of the time it involved family. It involved um, their children helping. And so even though man was working, he was teaching his children to work, but he was also with his family. And when, when we, uh, you know, we can't go back to that. I mean, I suppose you could try. The, uh, there's, I guess the Amish do it. But most of you here, uh, and myself included, are probably not going to go back to that. And so what we've, I've had to learn how to be very calculated with my time management. I've had to have, I've, I have to have specific times during the day that I just say, this is what I'm going to study. This is what I'm going to pray. I have to know when to shut down and say, this is what I'm going to spend time with my kids. I know i got stuff to do. And um, 
and, and I'll say this, it's easier said than done. One of the things I've learned is that I kind of set a, um, oh, a schedule, and if I blow it for a week, don't give up. Don't just say, well, this doesn't work. I'm never going to try that again. Just acknowledge you blew it for a week. Pick back up and do it right this, this, you know, the next few days and the next week. And um, I would also agree the, hard, the next thing hardest about being a Christian man is learning to walk in the Spirit and not be controlled by my flesh. Um, Doug, I have a question for you as a youth pastor. Doug's worked with our youth now for um, the last seven years, been the youth pastor here, I think, for the last five and so one of the questions I had for you specifically is how has the overall lack of fathers in the home affected the teens that you work with? Do you see this fatherless problem in our nation manifest itself with the kids you work with? Yeah, uh, I wrote down two things uh, with this question. Um, the lack of fathers in the home really affects our teens uh, in our society, in this nation, uh, first and foremost, I believe, with a lack of discipline and respect, uh, not, not only for their parents, uh, but for their teachers, uh, for those who are in a position of authority over them. Um, I've got a few statistics. Uh, 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 35, or 80, 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. Fathers are the main disciplinary figure in our homes. I mean, how many of us, myself included, have heard from, I heard this from my mom all the time. You just wait till your dad gets home. You just wait till your dad gets home and you're really going to get it. And that's true. But in a society where, regardless of the fact, if there is not a father in the home 100% of the time, or if there's a father that lives in the home that is just not active at all in his children's lives, discipline included, we are going to have these problems. And the Word of God says in Proverbs 13:24 that he who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Also, Proverbs 23, 13-15 says this, Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart will rejoice. Indeed, I myself. Our society right now, uh, parents are scared to spank their kids. And the Word of God tells us, commands us to do this. And if we decide to fall away from that, and we'll just put you in time out. And I'm not attacking anybody here if this is, if this is the way you discipline, but I'm telling you today what the Word of God says. And it says that we need to discipline our children with a rod. And we need to spank them. That, that teaches them respect. It teaches them that they need to be disciplined. And our society cannot fall away from this. We can't. We as Christians, as followers of Christ, us as fathers, that's our job. That's our role. And we need to be doing those things. Um, secondly, uh, a large problem that, uh, that teens face from not having fathers in the home or from not having fathers present all the time in their lives. Uh, we have a big issue with sex before marriage. Um, a lot of that falls back on before with the, with the problem of the society that we live in. I mean, like Joplin said earlier, you can't turn on the TV without seeing something sexual. You can't drive down the road without seeing billboards that are sexual. And our teens face this. And it is our job as fathers and as parents to make sure we are very, very picky and very choosy of what we allow our children to see, what we allow them to watch. Uh, we need to, Joplin hit on this earlier, we need to be very careful when they're getting on the computer. We can't just let them, hey, can I get on the computer? Yeah, and you're off in a completely different room of the house. 
Um, we need to be very careful on how we monitor our, our children's Internet usage. It is so easy to fall into pornography, even even as a child. I mean, Joplin read the statistics earlier. Um, I have one more statistic that I want to read uh, with the sex before marriage. Uh, daughters of single parents without a father who are involved are 711% more likely to have children as teenagers. That was 711%. 164% more likely to have premarital birth and 90, 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. Also, adolescent girls raised in a two-parent home with involved fathers are significant, significantly less likely to be sexually active than girls raised without, without involved fathers. Men, fathers, it is our job, especially with our daughters, we need to be showing them love so they're not searching for it and seeking it from other avenues, especially when they start to be, become teenagers. We've got to do our parts. And I know that with the help of God, you can. I mean, if, if you've failed before, it's never too late to go back. Jop, I'll go ahead and ask you. What is the hardest thing about being a father and raising up children as a Christian parent? So, um, first of all, I, I do want to I want to say I had no idea he was going to go there with spanking. So way to go, Doug. I didn't know about that. And uh, before moving on, though, I want to give some practical advice um, about spanking. Uh, first of all, I, I want to say that obviously spanking is biblical. And that it, that it is necessary. But I do want to say spanking should never be something that's done because I'm mad. And if you only discipline your children based upon now I'm mad, you're not actually teaching them what's right and what's wrong. And if we're honest, sometimes you're mad about it, sometimes you're not. So if they get spanked about this particular thing sometimes and then not other times, it's very confusing for your children. You need to be very consistent. And uh, I'm not a perfect parent by any means. Uh, but I will tell you what has worked for us. I, I, early on, I would tell my kids that I was going to spank them. And if they didn't stop. And I made sure that in all of my years, and to my knowledge, I can say, um, in all the years of parenting, I've never one time told my kids I was going to spank them when I didn't. My kids learn then they can trust me. They learn and they and then they come to see really they're making a conscious decision. And this is what you'll find when you're consistent with your di discipline and you're honest about what you say you're going to do. Your kids learn a lot faster than you think they do. Uh, I have only had to spank Tyron a few times after the age of five and I never did spank either one of my girls after the age of five years old. And it's not because they're perfect angels and it's not because they're never disciplined. But it's because so far since that time, there's never been one time with my girls and only a few short times with Tyron when I told them, you're going to get a spanking, that they went ahead and did it anyways because they learned consistency. I also want to say that it is equally important that you build your children up. We cannot be just discipline, discipline, discipline. It's never good enough, never good enough, never good enough, and just looking for the next opportunity to discipline. That does not work either. That breeds rebellion. And so when you have to discipline your children, it's very important that on the back end of it, you remind them that you love them, that they're good kids, and that, uh, you know, I, I've never told my kids that it hurts me more than it hurts them to get a spanking. Some of you have heard that. But that's not true. I enjoy spanking them sometimes to teach them a lesson. And so I've never told them that because I'm an honest dad. But I have gone back in many times afterwards and said, listen, I love you guys. And you're a good kid. And uh, I just, we will not put up with it. I won't let you talk to your mother that way. You can't tell lies. You have to be honest. And um, so, uh, thanks for bringing that up, Doug. I didn't know it was coming, but I'm glad it did. Okay, so, the question here is, I'm not sure which question you read. I got, I How do you ahead. define you... what a Christian father is? What is the biblical definition of a father? That's a good question. What is the biblical definition of a father? Will you pull up uh, Ephesians 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So I chose that passage in response to this question because before you can really be a good Christian father, you need to be a good Christian husband. And the Bible does imply that the husband comes first before the children. And so, but here's what I mean by that in a much more general sense. If you're going to be a good father to your children, you're going to have to respect their mother. You're going to have to be a good Christian man because there's more to being a father than discipline and, and, and providing, you know, clothes and food for them. And so the first thing I've got to do is be a committed um, person who does things like Christ did. You've got to be a Christ follower. And then look at Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I want to look at that word training. What is the biblical definition of a father? It is someone who trains his children in the way of the Lord. And training. Many of you have been through training. Some of you for your job. Um, many of you have, are trainers. One of the things about training it implies that someone shows me how. Training is not the same thing as telling. And so, fathers, we are to train our children. That means I'm not just telling you. I'm not just dropping you off at church so that somebody else can teach you. I am living the example. And I am one of the and should be the sole person in the life of my children that they can look to and say, this is how Christ would work in a life. And they, they should want to model that. They should want to uh, follow after me. And so a biblical definition of a Christian father is a man who trains his children. Not just one who tells. Not, not one who's passive and lets the wife bring him to church and lets the wife do all the spiritual teaching. We need to be active in the lives of our uh, sons and daughters. Doug, what is the hardest thing about being a father for you, raising up children as a Christian parent? The hardest thing is the blast from this world to live a fleshly life. Everything, I would say 99% of everything in this world that comes at, comes at you, at, at your children. I mean, we have so many things to, to, to live up to. The status quo uh, of, of this worldly life. I mean... We are faced with, I mean, things we've, I mean, everything we've talked about pretty much just earlier. Uh, faced with the pornographic material. We're faced with sports and media, electronics, popularity, a multitude of different things that, that just smacks us. And it is very difficult to, to, to raise, to raise our children. As Christians, I mean, even even being a Christian father, did you have anything to add to that, John? Well, sorry. Um, for me, one of the hardest things about raising up my kids, um, I suppose, would also be the pressure to meet the status quo. You know, you've got sports, um, media. You know, the newest gadgets out there, electronics, popularity. And if we're not careful, we judge what we need by looking around at what everybody else has. And what everybody else has and what everybody else does becomes the standard for what we need. And one of the things that uh, has been difficult, but I can say we have been proactive about teaching our kids that it's not good to have everything. And that we've got to learn to be satisfied with what we have. Not just satisfied, thankful for what we have. And the, the hunger for more and more and more. We are the most marketed generation in the history of the world. We are told in some way or another that every product that's out there, we are not complete without that product. That the old iPhone 4 is out and the new iPhone 5 is in and you are just in the, you know, the, the world gone past if you don't have the newest stuff. 
that we've got to have, have, have. And for me, trying to balance, you know, I don't want to just tell my kids, oh, you can't have anything because um, things are wrong. Uh, one of the things for us has been difficult balancing is sports. And I know this is a hot topic, but one of the things that we settled is that we are not going to sacrifice our commitment to the church and to God for sports. Just not going to do it. And I'm also not going to have my kids playing three sports at the same time. Here this day, here this the next day, here the next day. Life becomes about sports. And one of the things that I had to realize early on is that my kids got my genes. You know what that means? None of them are going to be famous football players. It isn't going to happen. And so I had to ask the question, what is the purpose of sports? And when I begin to see the purpose of sports as opportunities to create relationships, as opportunities for us as a family to engage other families in the community, and I don't allow it to become more than that, I have our boundaries, then... um, you know, it's worked for us. I coached a competitive soccer team for a few seasons, and the league played on Sundays. But when we signed up, here's what I told them. I get it. I know that you play on Sundays. I understand that. I'm just telling you, if you put us on Sunday, we forfeit. I can't be there. Can't do it. And if we get on a Sunday, I understand. I'm just telling you ahead of time so that you know, if you schedule us during this block, we won't be there. And you know what? So far, they've never scheduled us during church. And if they did, we personally wouldn't be there. Now, that's us. I'm talking about our own personal convictions, things we've decided with our kids. But sports has been a difficult one. So um, one of the hardest things about being a Christian father, raising up kids specifically, is, you know, that pressure not to try to do what everybody else does and then yet to somehow help our kids see that this is in the best interest of the family. All right, Doug, you had another question. Yeah. How, how do we address generational curses? All right, so how do we address generational curses? Before I answer the question, I want to explain biblically what generational curses are. And um, you find generational curses in Exodus chapter 20, Exodus 34, Numbers 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Most of them say the same thing. So I have one passage. Let's look at Exodus 20, verse 5, and I'll answer your question. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Will you leave that up as I make my comments here? So the first thing I want us to see about generational curses in the Bible is that generational curses are not necessarily something that came upon a family because some witch cursed them. It was the result of sin in the Father. I also want you to notice that it says that God visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Now look at this statement. Of those who hate me. Now that implies that the children have continued to partake of the sins of their father. Now I want to say generally when we talk about generational curses in Modern American day Christianity. We think of things like alcoholism. We think about things about the abusive father whose kids grow up to be abusive and hateful. Or we think about the father that's a lazy bum that doesn't work, never involved in his kid's life. And then all of a sudden he's got a son that's 16 years old that's got another kid that isn't taking care of that kid. And, And it's just the process that never really ends. And so when we talk about generational curses, most of the time that's what we mean. Now, the question is, how do we address them? And I want to say that it's really more simple than a lot of times what we make it out to be. The simple answer is repent and serve God. The simple answer is, is to realize that maybe you do come from a history of alcoholics. Maybe you do come from a home where your father was abusive. Maybe you come from a line of of poor behavior in your family. And these things are learned as we grow up. These things are learned as we watch our mother and our father uh, growing up. But as an adult, you have to realize that all things are possible through Christ. And that in Christ, the Bible says, behold, you are a new creation. And so I do not have to continue being hateful. I do not have to continue in my alcohol addiction. I do not have to continue in the laziness that's plagued my family. 
whatever that generational curse, if you want to call it that, may be. We've got to take ownership for our own actions. We have to we have to be willing to call our sin what it is to confess that to God and to repent of that thing. And if you have let's say you have a a specific problem, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's alcohol, uh, maybe it's anger and the way that you speak to your wife and your children. You not only need to confess that thing and repent of that thing, but you need to confess your sin to a few brothers that you trust who can hold you accountable and, and you need to begin praying, reading the Word of God, and looking for strength from the Word of God, from your prayer time, and from your Christian brothers that you've worked with to overcome this thing. And you've just got to get that mentality that says, it stops here. Maybe my granddaddy was this, and his granddaddy was this, and his granddaddy was this, but I do not have to raise my children that way. And I am going to break this curse in my life, but through the power of God and through looking to God to do in me and through me what my forefathers did not look to God to do. And so, uh, in a nutshell, in a two-minute version, I suppose that is the best way I'd say how we address generational curses. All right, so we've talked about problems. Uh, Doug, I want to talk here briefly as we close about the response. You know, what is the response? What do we do with this problem in our culture? Uh, what is your advice to the Christian father here this morning? We need to, for, for, first and foremost, we need to be aware that we are in a war. We are in a battle for the lives of our kids. And as parents, as fathers, we need to, we need to understand that. We need to come to that realization that we are in a battle. We're in a war. And we've got to fight for them. We can't just throw our hands up in the air and quit and say, well, they've done this so many times, I, I just, I give up. I'm not trying anymore. No matter what, I mean, we need to be there to fight for our kids. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, I couldn't agree more that you, you have to be conscious of the fight that you're in, otherwise you're not going to fight. And ignorance is no excuse in this day and hour. You have got to know your enemy. You've got to know that you're in a battle. You've got to know his tactics. And you need to have a real plan on here's how my family is going to make it through and stand strong. This is how we're not just going to have this sign on the door that says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. This is real. This is a real thing to us. And we have a calculated plan on how we're going to do that. So, uh, yeah, you got to be conscious of it. I think you couldn't have said that any better than you did. Second thing I have to add. Uh, us as men, we must be connected to the church. We've got to understand that God's got a plan for our lives, and he wants to use us in mighty and powerful ways, and we've got to step into that role. We can't just sit back on the sidelines and know, I mean, each and every one of us should know that God's got a plan for your life, and he wants to use you. And it's our jobs to seek after God to find out what that plan is for our life. And if we have to try ten different things before we finally figure out what God's plan is for our life, then so be it. But we need, we need to be, as men, seeking God's plan for our life. Um, so being connected, yeah. I mean, the devil's way is to divide and conquer. And as men, hey, let's be honest, guys. We, we don't really like anybody in our business, but the real reason we don't like anyone in our business is because we want to do what we want to do without having to answer to anyone. Somewhere we've got to let the pride die and realize that's a dangerous way to live life, especially if I'm going to do it the way God wants me to do it and I'm going to mature into the man God wants me to be. That's a dangerous way to do it. I need people in my life who know my business who care enough about me to know my business and who care enough about me to tell me the right thing when I need to hear it. And so it's so important that we're connected. I, I also want to say that one of the problems with the modern day church is it has become girly. And we're trying to fix that here at Crossway Church. All right. Church should be a manly place. It should be filled with men who are men, who are men to their wives, men to their children, who are men at work, who are connected and, and are serious about serving God. And in a lot of ways, the church has just kind of become, you know, we cater to women and children. And it's no wonder a lot of guys don't want to come because it's not guy-like. And I'm telling you, here at this church and as a senior pastor of this church, I have identified that. I've realized that. And we're beginning to make a conscious effort 
to get men connected and to make church a place where men like to be, where it's where, where you're not just coming because you think your wife and your kids need it, but you realize this is for you. So, awesome. Uh, third thing I have, we have here, is we need to learn from our mistakes. We can't we can't beat ourselves up when we screw up, when we do something wrong, when we discipline our, our if we discipline our children and we do it out of anger. We need to learn from that. And we need to apologize for one to our child and say, hey, I am sorry. I know I did this out of anger and I was wrong in that. We've got to learn from our mistakes and grow through them. Amen. I don't have anything else to add on that except for, man, when you learn to say you're sorry for doing something wrong, it can be one of the most teachable moments in your life. Just recently, and Branson will know, because we were having a conversation after a, after a game, um, softball game. And my son came back to, I think that was you I was talking to. Um, my son came back, and, and me and Branson were talking about something that was kind of intense. Anytime you talk to Branson, it's intense. Well, I didn't want my son to hear it, and he was putting bikes into the back of my truck. I thought he was pulling them out after I, I had already put them in. And I yelled at him right there. I said, what are you doing getting these bikes out? I already put them up. You're supposed to be in the truck. And he was trying to help me. And I, I felt terrible about it. I went home. My family's here to testify this. I went home and I told him in front of all of them in no uncertain terms, Tyron, I'm very sorry for the way I talked to you back there. You were trying to help me. And I yelled at you. And I told him I wasn't paying attention. I was in a conversation, and really it was just something I didn't want you to hear. And so I kind of snapped, and I'm sorry, and I asked him to forgive me. Guys, those are teachable moments. Number one, it teaches our kids they don't have to be perfect and that we all fail. Dad, don't pretend you never fail. But when you do, use those as opportunities to uh, teach your kids, and they can learn from you from that. So. What what does the response of the church need to be? So uh, the church as a whole, first thing I think, we've got to unapologetic, unapologetically proclaim we have the answer. And if you don't think we do, just look at the mess that the world's in today and try to convince me that what the world's told us the last 30 years has worked. I mean, I think we use the mess and the, and the facts of the statistics as evidence what we've been told isn't working. And so we need to unapologetically proclaim. And I do. Men, you'll never be the father you're supposed to be until you do it God's way. You'll never be the husband you're supposed to be until you do it God's way. There is no shortcut. There is no other way around. We've got to be men of God. And I think we've got to be unapologetic about that. The second thing is, at least from the church's response, if you're going to take these steps as a father to say, we're going to protect my home, we're going to keep our home pure. We're going, to, we're going to make some steps to make sure that we don't fall uh, victim to our society. Guys, church is the place where you bring your family and especially your kids and say, look, there's other families like us. We're not the only people in the world who live this way. We're not the only people in the world who believe in the Bible and who believe in, in, in living by what it says. And so it's very important that we have community. If you're not connect, connected to the community, if your kids and your wife see that, that um, you, know, you don't really care about your connection to the church and your involvement in the church, when you try to tell them the importance of God in their life, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And so we need to be connected. We need to be committed. And I want to say that men need to be involved. Some of you heard me say that a few weeks ago. Men need to be involved. We need to be serving. Our kids need to see us serving. I became so convicted of this that I decided, and, and really wasn't just a decision. I mean, it's like God put it on my heart. I'm going to start teaching our children's church. I'm going to do it. You're going to see me soon on the rotation. And I'll be up here with worship like everyone else. And when someone says it's time to dismiss, you, you know, follow your children's church pastors out, that's going to be me. I think it's important that our kids see the men and the leadership of this church teaching. And I... I don't say that to shame anybody. I don't want anybody who feels shamed down there because the kids will read it. I want you to catch the vision with me that, you know what, today's kids and our kids, they need to see that we men, we fathers, we husbands, we believe in this. 
And we are committed to this. And I'm excited about it. I think I hope our kids like it. I think they'll think it's great that the pastor is coming down and teaching them the word of God that week. I think it'll be healthy for them. And I pray that some of you men in, uh, join me in that. And if that's not what you're going to do, look for other ways to get involved. Last question and we're done. Doug, what about the man who has failed already? What about the father out there that's listening to us and he's saying, well, man, I've already blown it. You know, this is great news for your up-and-coming fathers. You need to listen. What about that man? Is it too late for him? First, I want to say no, it's not too late. It's never too late. Joel 2.25 speaks of God restoring all that the enemy has destroyed. I'm going to give you a little testimony of my life that deals with this question. Douglas was four years old when I got saved. Me and Douglas's mom are, are divorced. And... I was a wretch. I lived in a life filled with sin. And when I finally gave my heart to the Lord, and He finally sought after me and told me, Son, it's time, I answered the question. And if you would ask me the question, I've said this before when I came up to preach on a Sunday night before. If you would ask me if I would ever thought I would see myself, if I look back ten years ago, would I ever thought that I would be up here preaching a message. No, I never in a million years would have thought that God can restore everything that the devil has meant for evil and, and for and for wrong. Amen. We have just got we've we've got to get up and we've got to get out there and we've got to know that and understand that God loves us. If you screw up, it's okay. But God is there to pick you back up when you fall down. Amen. So, I want to say absolutely, it's never too late. It's never too late. But here's what you need to know. You cannot undo in three days what you messed up in three years. And so you've got to be prepared for the battle. You've got to be prepared to say, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change the destiny of my life. And I'm going to be committed to this thing. Matter of fact, uh, last scripture of the day, Galatians chapter 6, tells us about this principle. Verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will out of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will out of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So listen. You cannot sow seeds of hate and neglect and whatever you have done that you shouldn't have sown and expect there to be no harvest. It doesn't work that way. But what you can do is repent and say, I'm done sowing that stuff and start sowing the right seed. Start sowing love into your wife. Start sowing love into your children. Start sowing the seeds of faithfulness and trust that this is a law. That when you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But when you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap everlasting life. It's a law, and so you trust that. Know that if you decide you're going to go plant watermelons today, you're not going to have any to eat tomorrow. But you cultivate those things and wait. Eventually, the fruit comes up out of the ground. The same is true spiritually speaking. So it's never too late. But, sir, you've got to get your mind made up. You've got to get your heart made up. I'm not just going to, this is not a five-day test trial. This is not a five-day, oh, I'm, you know, I love God, and so everybody should just, you know, let everything go that I've done for the last few years. No. As, as men, we've got to take responsibility and say, no, I, I, I get it. I'm reaping what I've sown. But I understand if I quit reaping those, if I quit sowing those seeds, and I start sowing the right seeds, I'm going to begin to reap the things that I need to reap, that I want to reap, that God wants me to reap. And so... I want to encourage you, man, start sowing the right seed this morning. I want to encourage you to be connected and be committed. This is a tough world that we live in. It's tough. It's not easy, especially with the entourage of media, especially with how easy it has become to be secretive. And I want to encourage you to get connected. I want to encourage you to get a few men in your life that you can be honest with, that can hold you accountable with the the areas in your life that you need to be held accountable with. And I want to... I just want to encourage our church. Be praying for our men. You ladies, pray for us. When you think about our ministries, pray for our men, that God would would deal with hearts for men to get involved and men to get connected. Amen?
Doug, thanks for uh, doing this with me this morning. I had this idea to do this with Doug about two, two months ago, and I thought Father's Day would be the perfect opportunity. I pray that uh, God's Word has encouraged you. I pray that um, something has been said that was helpful to you this morning at uh, maybe coming up with some ideas on how to be the man that God wants you to be. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? And uh, it is Father's Day, which means we do not have a PM service tonight. Spend some time with your fathers. Tell them you love them. Uh, spend some time with family. Amen. All right, I'm going to pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that you have given us the roadmap to life. We pray that you'd help us to embrace it. God, we pray that uh, we would see your desire for Christianity is that it be authentic, that it be real, that it be living. And, Father, I pray this morning specifically on Father's Day for the men of this church. I pray for the men that were here this morning just to hear everything that, was, that we did, Father. Lord, that, God, we would be challenged to be solutions to the problem, God, of this culture. I pray that we would be challenged, Lord, if we know maybe neighbors, uh, other family members, if we know of kids that, that are growing up fatherless, Lord, help us to be selfless enough to invest time into their lives and, and to uh, help them and to encourage them and to let them know that um, we see what they're doing and that we care about them, Lord. Uh, God, we pray for your will for us, Lord, as men. We pray, God, that we would surrender to you everything, God, that we hold back. And, Father, that we would just come totally abandoned to you, unashamed, and, and say, God, make us into the men you want us to be. Lord, I pray you bless the men of this church. Use them this week, Father. Draw them nearer to you than they've ever been. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.